Hello and welcome to the commentary for lesson 339. This is 2 Kings chapter 8. And right away I want to apologize first of all that I have not been very regular in my posting of lessons. Last week I did one and it's Tuesday and I'm just now getting around to posting my first one which will go up tomorrow or I might just do it right away. Um, anyways, I just wanted to apologize for my irregularity and I it should get better because um, my my oldest son just started driving. Yay! So their school is a half an hour away and I was having to drive them to and then come back and then go and pick them up and then come back. Um, it really disrupted my day and I was no longer Ever since I got this new fancy microphone and editing software, like I I don't like doing it on my phone unless I absolutely have to. Even when I'm sitting in the car waiting for the boys in robotics or baseball or what have you, I don't want to do it on my phone because the end product is just better when I can edit it. So anyways... um. I want to apologize about that, but because my oldest is driving now, I should get three hours of my day back every day that they go to school. Now, unfortunately, um, aside from that, I have really done what a lot of Christians probably do, I imagine, at some point, and that is I've got my hands in too many good things. I'm trying to do too many things. Now, they're all good God things, but they're not all my things, if that makes any sense. This thing, this podcast, I believe God gave me this to do. And so this should be my priority. And I've stretched myself so thin that I'm not able to focus on my priority as much as I can. And so that's either got to change. I've either got to release some things or perhaps this extra three hours will make the difference that I can still continue to do it all. But I have a feeling I'm going to have to let something go. Um, honestly, I thought, you know, when you don't work, you just feel like, well, I'm not working, so surely I should be able to handle that and that and ooh and that. And I love all these things. And I just started a Bible study, which was the one thing too many, unfortunately, but it's so good. I couldn't pass it up. It's by Priscilla Shire, and it's called the Discerning the Voice of God. So I'm so excited to go through that because that's something I've really wanted to explore and that is how can I hear God more effectively? I know that he's not hiding from me. I know that he's there. I know it's, I'm the only thing getting in my own way, if that makes any sense. Um, the problem is me, not him. And so I know I am his. I know he loves me. I know he has a plan for me. I know he's not hiding that plan from me. I am just so busy and so distracted and I never shut up. So he can't talk to me. So he can't tell me. So um, I'm loving going through the study because I am going to be more intentional about that. So I will share that Things that come up with that as I go, but if you're looking for a study, I highly recommend it. If you're willing, to, if you're willing to do the work and get real, that it requires you to do. Okay, enough about me. Sorry about that, but I really felt like for those of you who have been following me for a long time, for so long I was so good about it. I was posting every day, four or five times a, a week, even at first, and I've really. 
it seems like I've slacked off. Um, in a lot of ways I have, but I just want to assure you that I will not stop doing this. I will post every week and it should get better. So I just want to reassure you of that, that this is a priority to me and a pleasure and an honor. So, okay, today's lesson is very good. We start off with the woman from Shunem. Elisha had brought her son back to life before, and now he's telling her that she needs to take her family and move to some other place. For the Lord has called a famine on Israel that will last for seven years. Now, speaking of hearing from God, back then in the Old Testament, and what I'm learning in this Bible study as well, and I never really thought about it this way, but back then, people had prophets. That's how they heard from God. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet, right? That when Jesus came and lived among them and taught them, and when he died and rose again, he said, I'm not leaving you here alone. I will leave the Spirit, the Comforter. He will be with you. He will help you. And we have access to that. When we become saved, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so we have access to God 24-7. It's hard for us to fathom because sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes we pray to him. Now, there's ways to connect with that. But anyways, I'm not going to get off on a tangent. But here it's just interesting if you think about the difference between Old Testament times before Christ and after Christ. Before Christ... The only way that woman was going to hear from God was through Elisha. God also talked to people through dreams and visions and miracles. But all of that came through these prophets that God selected. And he talked through them. And so she, that's the only way she heard from God is my point. So anyways, he says, move to some other place. Now, I wish when God talked to me, even though I am supposed to be able to hear him, I wish it was that clear. I wish he could say, you need to move for seven years and then come back because things here are going to get really difficult. Wouldn't that be great (laughs) if he could warn us that specifically and that clearly? The Lord has called for a famine in Israel that will last for seven years. So the woman did as the man of God instructed. Because that was God's instruction through Elisha, the fact that she did it and she didn't hesitate at all. And she didn't say, well, I got to get everything in order. It's going to take me to, you know, I got to prep things and I got to sell my land and I got to do this and I got to do that to get everything ready. There's no, we don't see as the reader how long it took her to get ready. But it says in the very next scripture, so the woman did as the man of God instructed. So whether it took her five minutes to head out the door and go that direction, or it took her five days or five weeks, she did it quickly and without hesitation. And without questioning, that's obedience. She took her family and settled in the land of the Philistines for seven years. At the end of the famine, she returns to her homeland in Israel and she goes before the king and she asks if she can have her land back. See, she wasn't, okay, she was being obedient, but it's so much more than that. She was not sure That she was going to get this land back. She was giving up everything she knew. She was born and raised there. Presumably. She was going to a new land. She didn't own anything there. She didn't have a job there waiting for her. It was the land of the unknown. But because God told her. 
She was obedient, and we can be sure that when God tells us to do something, he's not going to send us somewhere to hurt us. He loves us. We can be sure of that. And he does everything for our own good, even if it's difficult. Because I am pretty sure, since she was right on the money seven years later, didn't forget to come back home, that she really wanted to be home. She preferred to be home. She did not want to be away. It didn't grow on her. I'm assuming, I'm thinking of myself, if I was her, it wouldn't grow on me. I want to go home. And so she waited the full seven years, just as Elisha told her. And then she comes back. And this just shows you God's perfect timing and his perfect plan. And if we are obedient, we do what he says when he says to do it. We don't question him. We don't know better than God. So we need to stop, and I'm speaking to myself, thinking that we do. Um, So it's funny that when she comes into the king's court, she uh, comes at the exact moment that Gehazi is telling the king stories about Elisha. I love that the king is asking, tell me more stories about the great things Elisha has done. So Gehazi is telling him, and just as he's talking about the very story of Elisha bringing that boy back to life, It says at that very moment, she walks in with her son. And Gehazi says, look, my lord, the king. Here is the woman now, and this is her son, the very one Elisha brought back to life. The king says, is this true? And she says, yes. And she told him the story. And so he directs one of his officials to see that everything she had lost was restored to her, including the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. I love that. God takes care of the details. He doesn't forget the desires of our heart. And he takes care of our basic needs too. We can count on him to do that. And so she comes back not even knowing if she would get her land back. And not only did she get that back, but she got greeted with such generosity and uh, heartfelt, I don't know, they were they were so happy to do it, it seems. And so they were gracious to her and they gave her even more than just the land that she was asking for, but the value of the crops that she had kind of, that were harvested, you know, someone else took care of that and they reaped the benefits of that. But she got that too. That's just so cool. Anyways, then we move on to the story of Hazael. Elisha is in Damascus. He went to Damascus, the capital of Aram, and where the king, where King Ben-Hadad lay sick. So someone told the king that Elisha was in town and he says, uh, go get him and I need to find out if I'm going to get better, if I will recover from this illness. So Hazael, or Hazael, um, loaded up 40 donkeys. He was to take a gift. And with the finest products of Damascus and a gift for Elisha. And he went to him and said, your servant Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, has sent me to ask, will I recover from this illness? Elisha says, go and tell him, you will surely recover. But actually, the Lord has shown me that you will surely die or that he will surely die. Now, that's curious, right? Because is Elisha saying that he should lie? a little disconcerting because you think, you know, if Elisha speaks for God and God cannot lie, then there must be more of an explanation here. So I was curious about that. I went to Bible Hub and I found Benson Commentary, which makes two suggestions for this passage. 
Um, first, it could just be sarcastic. Well, you're going to tell them anyways because they the messengers always wanted to give a good report to the king, right? So maybe he's saying, well, you're going to tell him he's good anyway, so go ahead and tell him he's good, that all is well. But here's the real deal. This is what God's really saying, and that is that he's going to die. The second explanation actually makes more sense. And if you really look at the scripture, sometimes we make assumptions without really looking at the words. It says, go and tell him you will surely recover, but actually the Lord has shown me that he will surely die. He will surely die. It didn't say he will surely die from the disease. It said that he will surely die, which he will. Right? Um, Elisha stared at Hazael with a fixed gaze until Hazael became uneasy. Then the man of God started weeping. What's the matter, my Lord? Hazael asked him. I imagine if I was Hazael, I would be very nervous. If a man of God, a prophet, is staring into you until you're uncomfortable and then they start crying, you're nervous about what it is they see, right? So I'm sure Hazael is very nervous. Um, Elisha replies, I know the terrible things you will do to the people of Israel. You will burn their fortified cities, kill their young men with the sword, dash their little children to the ground, and rip open their pregnant women. Hazael responded, How could a nobody like me ever accomplish such great things? Okay, now here's another curious thing. Great things? What does he mean? Like, like those would be wonderful things? Well, first of all, remember that Aram is the enemy to Israel. And so, aside from the gory details, which it's not honorable to hurt women and children, it never has been. And so, despite those gory details and dishonorable actions, what he heard was that he will burn fortified cities. That means he would be conquering cities in order to do all of these detestable things. He would have to conquer. And if he's just a lowly official, how is he going to be in power to do any conquering? You see? So in a way, it would be great things in that sense. Um, another way of possibly looking at this was I went to different translations. I went to King James Version, NASB, and NIV, and they all said they all make reference to a dog. So I'll just read um, NIV. And they're all generally the same. They all reference a dog. Um, But he says, how could your servant, a mere dog, accomplish such a feat? So I am nothing but a dog. It just means he's nobody. How could he accomplish such great things? Or great things could also refer to horrific things. Because when it comes to the gory details, you know, dogs are primal when it comes down to it especially wild dogs. Maybe that's primal, savage behavior. And a dog could do such things. Oh, you know what? I'm looking back at King James Version. Here's, okay. It's not that, if you look at King James Version, it says, but what, is thy servant a dog that he should do this great thing? If you look at NASB and NIV, it seems like, and the In the NLT, although it doesn't refer to a dog, it says, who am I? I'm just a dog, meaning I'm a nobody. How can I be in charge to do these great things? But in the the King James Version, it seems he understands 
the detestable nature of those savage acts. Regardless of the fact that he is conquering cities, there's some things you just don't do. And so I love how King James Version says that, and I think that's probably the original intent of the scripture. It says, but what? Is thy servant a dog that he should do this great thing? Am I savage? Even I have standards. Then Elisha answers, The Lord has shown me that you are going to be the king of Aram. Now, it's important to note that this is not news to Haziel. He's heard that before. Elijah told him that, believe it or not. If we go back to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 15, I'm going to read that scripture to you. This is the Lord speaking to Elijah. Go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. So God told Elijah to anoint all of these people for future positions. Okay? So... This shouldn't be news to Hazael, but you know how sometimes you get, someone will say something about you, oh, you'll do great things, or or I see you doing this kind of thing, or what have you, and and here he had a prophet, he had a word from a prophet, he was anointed. You can assume that he knew what he was being anointed for, but enough time goes by and you just don't see how that's going to happen, kind of like Abraham doubting after a while that he was going to have children the old-fashioned way. Right? So after a while, I wonder if Hazael was like, I know you say that, but I just don't see it happening. But here, he must get excited because this is the second time he's heard it. Now he, first he heard it from Elijah. Now he hears it from Elisha and he gets impatient and he decides to take matters into his own hands. And so then we close the story with, when he, Hazael, verse 14, when Hazael left Elisha and went back, the king asked him, what did Elisha tell you? And Hazael replied, he told me that you will surely recover. But the next day, Hazael took a blanket, soaked it in water, and held it over the king's face until he died. Then Hazael became the next king of Aram. And remember, Aram and Syria are interchangeable. They're the same place, essentially. So, Remember, Elisha said that all of these horrible things that Hazael would end up doing, and we always like to see fulfillment of prophecy. If we turn to 2 Kings chapter 10, verses 32 to 33, it says, King Hazael conquered several sections of the country east of the Jordan River, including all of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh. So he did conquer land and a lot of it it looks like but it doesn't go into the gory details now if it was fulfillment of prophecy you'd think the writers of this passage would have gone into more detail or that perhaps second chronicles would point to that i didn't see any reference to a second chronicles passage that speaks directly to the fulfillment of that prophecy in with those gory details so that we know that the words of Elisha were true. Um, but we do know that they were. But here's what my study Bible says. It says, Elisha's words about Hazael's, Hazael's treatment of Israel were partially fulfilled 
in Second Kings 10, 32-33, where I just was. Apparently, Hazael had known he would be king because Elisha had anointed him. I already talked about that. He was impatient and, instead of waiting for God's timing, took matters into his own hands, killing Ben-Hadad. God used Hazael as an instrument of judgment against the disobedient Israelites. So, God can do anything. And he can cause things to happen in our life and in our world that are unfathomable. But he will never force us. We still have free will, which is why we have to have faith, which is why we choose him. And that's why, you know, if you're going to marry someone, you would never want to ask, if you're a young man, you would never want to ask a woman for her hand in marriage. And you'd want to know that she wanted you back, right? You wouldn't want to force someone to marry you because then it wouldn't be a true partnership. It wouldn't be, there wouldn't be a love shared. That's how it works with God. He, he's, he's not going to force himself in the situation, but he had a plan for Hazael and it was going to go a certain way. And even though it was gory details, there was reasons for the gory details. He was going to allow that to happen, but always for a purpose. And because of Hazael's impatience he changed the plan basically everything plays out differently you change one little thing and the dominoes that follow are just going to be different we know that so anyways i think there's a lot to that that maybe we would we could study for a very long time and never quite fully understand that but i think the main takeaways for these stories are first of all the woman from shunem she was obedient First of all, the way she heard from God was through a prophet, and that's just a reminder to me because of my current study that I'm taking that we hear from God through the Holy Spirit and through his word. But back in the Old Testament, they relied on these prophets, and she was obedient, and she was obedient without hesitation and without questioning. She did exactly what God said, and he had his perfect plan and his perfect timing. And that, actually, it's interesting that the story of Hezael, who tried to push the timing, comes right after the woman of Shunem, where the example is God's perfect timing. Right? So that is interesting, the placement of these stories. Um... And also the fact that she told that story when something great happens in our life. I mean, I doubt that any of us are going to have children that are brought back to life by a prophet. That's pretty amazing. You would want to tell the world. But we do have our own little miracles in our life. The amazing little God moments that we experience. And we should be excited. And how could we contain ourselves? How could we not want to tell um, people what, what God has done in our lives? And so... We share God's glory with a story. And she did that there and it affected the king. And he blessed her because of it. Um, And God blessed her through that king, really. Gave her not only her land back, but more than she even expected. So then Hazael again, he was reminded of the prophecy of Elijah. And he got that taste of power. It was like the smell of blood to a shark. Or the taste of blood to a shark or something. It was like he he was so excited to have power that he couldn't wait. And he took care of things himself. And he did become the next king. And he did conquer lands. But it didn't happen according to God's plan. 
So anyways, a lot there in just those two passages. And I know I went long, but um, I hope you all have a great day and I will talk to you soon.